Earners, what's going on? Listen, EYLU is relaunching, revamping, retooling. That's right, we're creating a new educational experience that's more expansive. Shari, tell me what we got. Yes, 2023. We got a lot in store, a lot planned for you guys. So you know that EYLU already includes monthly financial planning calls with me, book club calls with Troy, real estate calls with MG the Mortgage Guy, access to the home buying blueprint, volume one and volume two. Part of the revamp will include 27 local chapters from across the United States, live interactive teaching, hands-on, not just pre-recorded videos, plus 15 brand new curriculums. The biggest just got bigger. Head over to EYLUniversity.com. That's E-Y-L-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y.com. See you there. Ernest, what's up? Look, I want to put you on to something that's been making waves in the personal finance world. If you've been relying on Mint to manage your finances, I got some news that might startle you at first. Mint is no more. But hold on, because every cloud has its silver lining. And in this case, that lining is Monarch Money. For those of us searching for a robust, user-friendly alternative, Monarch Money is stepping up to the plate. And from personal experience, it's hitting a home run. Let's get personal for a moment. Managing finances can be a maze of confusion, stress, and time consumption. Believe me, I've been there, jumping from one finance app to another, hoping to find that one platform that simplifies everything. Then came Monarch Money. Its ease of use, powerful features, and sleek design transformed my approach to managing finances. What truly sets Monarch apart for me, though, is its collaboration feature. With money being a top Discord trigger for many couples, the ability to seamlessly manage finances with my wife has been a game changer. No extra costs, just shared goals and clarity. But Monarch isn't just about managing your current finances, it's about building your future. Saving for that dream house, your wedding, or a once in a lifetime vacation becomes not just a possibility, but a reality with Monarch's intuitive tools. It's no wonder the Wall Street Journal held it as the best app for savings growth. Monarch Money represents the next evolution in personal finance apps. It's an ad-free haven where your experience is the priority, constantly refined based on real user feedback. It's everything we've been asking for, intuitive, powerful, and relentlessly focused on user satisfaction. Now, for a bit more practicality, Monarch makes transitioning from Mint a breeze ensuring you can bring all your tags and categories with you. It's intuitive design, customization options, and commitment to privacy and an ad-free experience make it stand out in the sea of competitors. Look, after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash leisure. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash leisure for your extended 30-day free trial. Earners, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor 
or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, the real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over here and start using it now. I think one of the best ways is as you drive around in neighborhoods and you see buildings, look at those signs. Every one of those buildings have a has a ton of signs up that has every single company name on it. Those are the people doing the developments. What better place should you start than your backyard with folks that are doing the work right now? So start with looking at very practical way. When you drive around, take a picture of the signs, look them up, find people on LinkedIn, whether they're black women find some commonality and try to you know get in with them whether it be the architect the construction company the engineers or the developer all of them work with developers all the time they know developers don't say oh i don't want to reach out to the architect because i don't want to do that architects build for developers literally they have a whole network of them so if you build a rapport with one they can introduce you to their relatives all right guys welcome back yes eyl uh this is very rare air yeah. We uh, <laughs> let's start <Gosh>. there. <laughs> Very rare that we, we we well nowadays especially is not easy to earn your leisure has become kind of like a big deal for people to get on. That's an understatement. <laughs> <Good>. so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So to get on once is an accomplishment, but to get on twice is an extremely rare feat. Only a handful of people have ever graced the show twice. Yeah, a handful of people. Um, I try to run off the names, but. We didn't even make it to a hand. We didn't even get to five fingers. Nah, not a lot. So, um, Brandon Rule, we did this episode probably December. two and a half years ago, something December like that. December 2019. December 2019. Yeah, December 9th, to be exact, because we had did the event December yes. 9th, and that was the, we did a triple yeah, so interview exactly day. Was. We, was, we was in D.C., <laughs> and we shot some content, and he was one of the people that we shot. And um, at the time, it went crazy. He was talking about real estate development. I think you might have been the first real estate developer that we've had on mm-hmm. um, and kind of giving a breakdown of real estate development, how it works, how he got started, how you get paid as a real estate developer, um, affordable housing, variety of different things. And he, since then, he has done a lot of new construction and, and new development. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the time he had a $45 million grocery store mixed use property 24,000 square foot units. 150 units in Madison Wisconsin yeah and now that's completed right yes and then you also are work currently working on 2,000 units in Birmingham Alabama yes with 900 affordable no so it's really like 1,500 affordable but in one of the developments 920 is a part of that choice neighborhood grant that we'll talk about Okay. Yeah. And then you have 142 units in Milwaukee. Yes. That's over a $100 million project. 
That one's, well, 140 units, but it's about 42 million. That's okay. the Harbor yeah. District? Harbor District. Okay. And then so. you have you have a project in Houston, Texas? Yeah, 340 units there. That's about 100 million. So, <laughs> Add those numbers up with the ones we said before. <laughs> So it's a lot. It's a lot. So, so yeah. So you were not looking at one smart black boy. So yeah. So I felt like it would be good to have a follow up conversation. Appreciate and you. Earned. Talk, talk about yeah, what you got going now in real estate development and what you've learned over the last couple of years and provide information and insight. So first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you all, man. Uh, before we jump in, I want to say thank you all too. You know, we did this December 9, 2019, and y'all were an emerging company. Everybody knew the brand, you know, but um, y'all are established now. So I appreciate y'all still respecting what I have going on and inviting me. But I want to give y'all flowers too, man. Like what y'all did for the culture. So many people come up to me regularly. Yo, you changed my life on mm -hmm. some, hey, I never got into development. I didn't know what this was. Like I'm thinking about investing, et cetera, et cetera. And I know y'all get it too. But, um, you know, the lion's share of that probably came from that exposure that they got through this interview. So appreciate the platform y'all created and what y'all doing for the coach. We appreciate, appreciate that. Appreciate uh, you. And to this day, man, that episode was one of the, you know, you, you have some episodes when you're familiar with an area. And so you're asking questions because you want to get more knowledge. And then there's some episodes where you're not really familiar and one, one of your was yours. And it was like, wow, that was, we were just blown away by it. So thank you. And thank you for showing up. Not just for this interview, but every time we've called on you, you've been at multiple events. Sometimes you, we see you out and it's yeah. like, yo, what's going? It's always love. So I just want to thank you Absolutely. for being a genuine person that you that we met in December of 2019 to this day. I appreciate with everything that. you've accomplished. That means a lot too, because I feel the same about y'all. Yeah, and just came off the Invest Fest. Yes, stage. you did. Yes, sir. Legendary. Yes, it's an honor. It's a privilege to be up there. Legendary <laughs> Invest Fest. Twenty thousand people was in attendance. That was a monumental uh feet and uh you definitely tore the stage down yes the real estate development panel so that's something that you know we appreciate as well well i want to make sure folks know if they haven't saw it they could catch the replay that's a fact 99 dollars on the website please good that's why he's with us give you this one for free but you know, hey, <laughs> that's a fact on, that's a fact <laughs> um i bet so let's get into it so let's start with the madison project yeah. right so when we first spoke, you would you just started the project. Now it's done. So the grocery store aspect is something that's important for, for sure. the communities of every community, but especially, you know, black communities mm -hmm. and um, communities that have been disenfranchised. So you, you put together that it's a mixed use of grocery store and um, actually housing. So talk about start to finish some of the challenges that you faced um obstacles and why that project is important and why it's important for madison wisconsin which a lot of people don't even know madison wisconsin actually has a black population yeah, absolutely yeah pretty sizable one sure. of the most disenfranchised ones in the country too yeah so talk about that project and just kind of give us the lay of the land on that so yeah like you said you know 150 units uh above a grocery store so you go to larger metropolitan cities, you'll see this combination growing, right? Grocery store with housing above. What you don't typically see is affordable housing above a grocery store. It's typically market rate because in the majority of those areas, grocers look for higher income at the end of the day. It's one of the lowest margin businesses that you can have out there. So if you're in an area of poverty and people are, you know, it's a higher rate of theft that decreases your margins. So it was a very difficult time finding a grocery 
that wanted to actually be in the area. I mean, I talked to Baldies, I talked to um, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, you name it. I talked to all of them, and they like, nah, we're not interested. And ironically, Kroger had just purchased a pick and save next door when they were shutting it down because it wasn't a part of their expansion and their footprint. They're opening new stores, but this one, they're like, nah, we're out. So this RFP was from the city of Madison and I said, hey, we need a grocery store and we want to do housing. So I competed. RFP is the request for a proposal. Good okay. point. So the city put out, hey, we have three and a half acres worth of land. We want someone to come in and develop this. Someone sent it to me. I'm like, all right, cool. Let me check it out. At that time, um, I was thinking about doing a 9% tax credit deal or a 4% tax credit deal. It's two different ones. One is competitive, one's not. And the 9% round, based on the timing in which they put it out, was already passed, so I would have had to wait a year. What I did creatively was put it as a 4% deal because I had more time to submit that. And I actually got my application in and was able to deliver a year before anybody else. So talk about what does that mean, 4% tax credit deal? So the long come out of the tax credit is broken out into two different things, 9% and 4%. It's a very complex structure, to be honest. So won't even like get into it heavily, but at the 9%, 70% in theory of all the total development costs will be funded by that. And then on the 4%, 30% of your total development costs will be funded by that. So if you think about, okay, cool, I have a deal that's $100 million. I'm getting $70 million from this tax credit. I'm getting $30 million from this tax credit, just to keep it simple. So most were looking at it from the 9% perspective because you get more credits. But I was thinking about how do we creatively do it quicker with the 4%. And Wisconsin had just introduced a state credit that mirrored the 9%, all this extra stuff. But I ended up creating value by saying, okay, let me financially engineer this thing so I can outpace all of my competitors. There were four, I think, primary applicants or four finalists at the time when we responded. I was one of the four. And then I went to a ton of community meetings. I mean, I'm out there getting there at 6, 7 p.m., leaving at midnight, like literally staying there, waiting to the last single person left, answering every single question. So I was like building with the community as much as I could. And Ended up getting it awarded in December of 2019, ironically, right around the time we were talking about it. No, it must have been like September. Q3, Q4 of 2019 is when I got it awarded from the city. But that was just the first step. Once you get the land awarded, you got to go and actually like put the financial plan together. So then I'm applying for tax credits. So when we did our interview, I got the land under contract, but I had to go out and apply for the tax credits. So I applied for that, ended up getting it awarded, found a grocer. It didn't work out with that grocer. It was a black and Latino led grocery store. So you had an all black, you had a black led development team. I partnered with a local nonprofit and then we had a black and Latino grocery store and we had so much flag. I mean, from wow, government, everybody, no, nah, the government was on my side. Community? Luckily the mayor wanted to see the black developer, you know, move forward. It was a community. Yeah. Some parts of the community. So this one, let's put, let's say it's a circle, right? 60% of this circle is black community. You know, 20% is Hmong. And there was a white community there. You said Hmong? Yeah, like Asian. Okay. Yeah, they were like, it's a Hmong Asian community over there as well. There's Mongolia? What's Hmong mean? Uh, I don't know where it what, what's, what's Hmong mean? I never heard that before. That's a, that's a good That's point. like an acronym? Baby? No, it's, it's like... A, Ethnicity almost. Okay. So, you know, it's kind of like. Ty, go on the Google search on this one. Yeah, let's do that. 
Let's do that. Let's, Mom. let's not get us banned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Wait. a fact. But but yes, it's an Asian community. It was, it's black. It's a melting pot. Black, yeah. Asian, Hispanic, et cetera. But this small um, kind of white community was very supportive. And it was more affluent than some of the other neighborhoods around. It was very supportive, but there was a couple bad apples that were like intentionally trying to pull it down because they didn't want me to succeed. Which ironically, I won't say the names of some of the organizations, but leading black led organizations in this country, in the world, were fighting against me doing this development. Why? Why? This is. It was the most irrational thing. What, I've ever what was seen. their reason that they were saying? They just wanted another develop the the majority developer that was local. They thought he was a better fit to be the developer. Was he black? Of course not. That that's interesting. The 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 race part is one thing. Yeah, but even for us, like even now dealing with like real estate and dealing with developers, that that's an issue. But dealing with municipalities is an issue too. You said the mayor was on your side. Yes. Talk about that process because I'm sure there was challenges dealing with municipalities trying to get this development off. Yeah, it was typically there is, but this one actually not many. They were fully on my side because the RFP came from them. They had a vested interest in moving this forward, too. They wanted to see the grocery store. Okay. They appreciated that it was a black developer coming into a city that was black and had a tremendous amount of black issues. And they wanted to see me grow and prosper. I found a local nonprofit that I could partner with because they knew the local lay of the land a little better. They knew where the pockets of money were in Dane County and the city of Madison, et cetera. So the municipalities were actually great. It was not an issue with them at all. They were fully, to this day, I have a call today with them about the grocery store. And to this day, Dan Ropes, who I met with, he's been phenomenal across the board. He's staff level at the city. So when, They've when, been great. When you're fighting the power, well, the people that were trying to stop this and derail the development, how are you facing this? Like, How are you meeting this challenge? I think just really forming relationships and allies, uh, having the common council with you, so every city, there's a mayor and then there's a council that governs like all of the decisions that are made. So in this development, there was one I was in one's district, but across the street was another district. So those two council people in, in particular were very influential in like keeping their constituents at bay. Again, there were a couple bad apples that was like, nah, we just don't want him to do it for no reason. I mean, they just thought that I couldn't do it, to be honest. I was it. I knew I could do it. Clearly it's done, so it got done. But other than me being a young black developer, they just didn't want that. But having those allies in the city definitely helped me overcome some of those challenges. So, okay. So you get the political support, but now you have to actually, and it didn't have to be a grocery store. That was just your idea? No, they wanted it. <coughs> oh, so wanted part of the, store. yeah, that's a good point. The request for proposal that they put out, they got these three and a half acres. We want a grocery store at the bottom and something above so it didn't have to be housing it didn't have to be affordable housing okay that was but just your idea that was my idea so all right so how do you so once you get past the hurdles and, and you actually get to rfp yeah now you actually have to put the plan together yes so you you have to get the funding yes and you have to get the grocery store yes correct so how do you get the funding and how do you get the grocery store so at the time of the submission with the RFP, you have to have an idea of what that plan is. And honestly, when you give it to them, it's got to be close enough to pass the smell test. But whatever you submit then is not really how it's going to end up. Like the articles at that time, 31-year-old developer. I'm 34 now. I'll be 35 in a couple of days. 31-year-old developer, 
is developing a $41 million project. That project ended up being over $45 million. So that's a $4 million delta. You know, that's a 10% increase in construction costs or whatever. And you got to find the financing for it. So based on all of the rents that come in, you can figure out what the value of that property is. The bank will give you a loan based upon the value. So they say, hey, we'll go, since it's affordable, 85% loan to value. Mm -hmm. Right? Now you have to find the 15% delta between that kind of loan value and what the rest is. But the challenge with affordable housing I mentioned on the previous episode is the value of that property is less than the cost of construction. So the value may only be 15 million, even though it costs 45 to build because you're restricting the rents. So now, okay, cool. I got, let's just call it 12 million of tax credit. It was probably closer to like 20, but let's just say 20 million of tax credits, 45 million total. Well, the loan might have only been 15. So $10 million loan, $45 million deal. You add about 20 so, 20 or so million in tax credits. So now I have 35. We condoed out the grocery store. We did not put it together. It's two different buildings on paper. It's the same structure, but it's two different entities. So the grocery store, fortunately, was purchased by the city. The city of Madison bought the grocery store back, and they're now leasing the grocery space. I don't have that risk anymore. It's a lot of value there for me being a developer because if I was leasing that out and that grocery store failed, I'm still on the hook for that loan as opposed to the city right. who use their funding dollars. They don't have a loan. They just can lease it out and make sure that that grocery store is successful. So we were paid 4.6. So that was another, let's just call it five. So, you know, you got 10 plus the 20 from the tax credit plus another five here. 35 or so. Now I need to find 10 million more dollars to fill this gap. Uh, the city of Madison ended up giving me a million and a half for the affordable housing piece. Uh, the city of Dane County gave me a little less than 2 million. Um, we applied for a federal home loan bank. They had this affordable housing program. We applied for that. We received 900,000, I think from them as well. So you just go and find like all of these places to plug the gap. And then once you get it to a point where it's close enough, you defer. If my developer fee, my developer fee on that was five million, but you have to defer at least half. We can talk about why later. But that two and a half, let's say I have a million dollar overrun. Now I gotta refer defer three and a half instead of two and a half. So you just find enough sources so you can make your fee and then it cash flows. But that's essentially what it is. You just go out and go to different cities different counties and find different funding sources based upon whatever program you have and affordability typically has some pockets of money out there so the affordable housing piece you didn't have to do that like you said but i know it's something that's personally it was encouraged but yeah it's definitely yeah. purchased to me. so talk about that right because you could have done commercial real estate you i mean super intelligent you could have done commercial, <laughs> but you're doing more community real estate so talk about why it's so personal to you and why you continue to go down that path 100 i mean for that deal in particular uh, some of the other proposals was student housing because it's right by University of Wisconsin. You know, that's a huge university, 40 plus thousand people. You can make a lot more money doing that. But for me, it's like my first deals were in my backyard. That's how I started. I'm like, yo, I want to develop in this area that is facing gentrification. And the fact that I started in community development, I'm going to never let that go. So I work really closely now with this guy, Egbert Perry. He's a genius. He was the former board chair of Fannie Mae. 
like coming out the recession. He's on the board of Penn, just a dope, dope guy and developer. And one of the things he enlightened me on was there's a huge difference between community development and commercial real estate, right? So commercial real estate is, let's just call it capital P for profit and a small M, maybe no M for mission. You go, you make the money. It is what it is. It's transactional. Community development, on the other hand, is a very large M for mission, and it might be a small P for profit. So when I was starting off, everything I did was community development. When we spoke last time, everything I was doing was community development. But now I'm transitioning into commercial real estate because although I am passionate about the community development piece, it's difficult to build your entire business around that. So you have to have the balance, you know, diversification right at the end of the day. So now I'm getting into more market rate stuff, whether it be studios that I'm developing or market rate housing, et cetera. I'm doing both. But really what I'm more so focused on is master plans where I can like commingle both in the same space. So the stuff that we're doing in Birmingham is a prime example of that. So like for people, um, you know, people always have criticisms. So they'll say like, earn your leisure, like you're only interviewing rappers now. Like what about like Diddy, he's talking about liquor. That's not something that we need. We need more <laughs> grocery stores. So for all of you, for all of you folks, this is something that actually is extremely important from the grocery store aspect and the housing aspect is probably the two most essential things in life, actually food and shelter. Absolutely. So this is a, a model that, um, is actually very interesting to have a grocery store and then affordable housing on top of a grocery store. Do you think that this is something that can be duplicated? And if so, like for other people that might be interested, like how, what's the blueprint for this model in disenfranchised neighborhoods moving forward? Cause like I said, that actually is something that encompasses a variety of different things. You know, if we talk about food deserts. Yes. So access to, to food is extremely important and access to have somewhere to live is extremely important. For so sure. if you can, if you can knock out two birds with one stone, that's mm -hmm. kind of a amazing accomplishment. Yeah. So great question, by the way, I think for that, there is a model for sure. I think you've seen it a little bit, but we should see more of it in the future. Uh, for anyone looking to do it, I think where you start is, really understanding development first, because if you don't get that, if the numbers don't work, we're just talking mm -hmm. like this isn't charity It's business at the end of the day and big, big business. Like even community development is big, big business. We're talking hundreds of millions just in my portfolio. There's billions of dollars going out monthly to these type of deals. That's not, Hey, I want to do this type stuff. So to answer that, I think one understanding development and really community development, one of the unique things from a macroeconomic perspective that I did in Madison was that particular neighborhood is in an area that has like healthy connectivity around it. So, yeah, the food desert may be leaving, but there are other things there that this development being affordable is going to enhance some of those other things. The Urban League of Madison just put up a new building. There's a tremendous amount of new development nearby. So my recommendation would be find an area that is, yes, in the food desert, but the nicest area within that. Don't go to the worst area in the area, like that community and say, I wanna do that here. It's probably not gonna work from a numbers perspective. Find something on the fringes. If there's, let's say, a two mile radius that you're looking at, 
what is the best area within this two mile radius that you could still feel like connected to? Yeah, I'm doing this in my community, but it's closer to whatever catalytic development is around there. You want to always align yourself with something else that's going on. You don't want to build in like, I'm not saying you don't want to, but you don't want to build uh, from a business owner perspective. I don't want to own something that is retail specifically in an area that has no healthy connectivity around it. Start there and then move into those areas. So it's kind of like the reverse of gentrification almost, right? It's like, how do we go align with that stuff and then continuously like spread it to the other parts of the community? Gentrification isn't bad. Displacement is bad. Mm. Those are two different things. Mm. If we can build and develop in our communities and not displace the people within it, it's beauty. So that's how you do it. You put the healthy, you look for what's healthy in that area of a food desert and put a plan in that area. And then it'll start to expand down to the other areas that need it the most. How, how much, I mean, you have the, the proof of concept, right? You've done this. So when you're doing this in Madison, before you get to the Harbor District, are you showing this to scale? I can do this. And now is it making that process easier for you? Number one. And number two, how many developments are you taking on at a time before it's like, maybe the, can we handle this much workflow? Yeah, that's a great question too. So absolutely. I think in Wisconsin in particular, I'm one of like, I'm one of the biggest developers in the state, you know, regardless of race, color, age, any of that. Right. So when I pull up, they, they see my resume. Now that deal we just talked about with the grocery store, that was the largest development in the state from a tax credit perspective that year, this Harbor district one that I just got in 2023, that's the largest one in the state that was funded. So like, I now have the track record where it's like, no, I'm standing on my own. And they they look at me as if I'm one of the historically, you know, white developers, right? But I'm black and I'm coming with energy and mission and like community with me. So I think having that entire story helps. What also helps is Milwaukee has changed, man. Historically, it's been the worst place for black people, but the mayor's now black, the head of the county's black. The head of the WIDA economic development in the whole state of Wisconsin that was appointed by the governor is black. The pretty much all the positions of power, the head of that, you know, DCD, the community development arm that puts the money out is black. Head of CDBG funds is black. So it's like it's a renaissance almost. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. Like we all are on that same wave. So it'd be I don't have to sell it because they get it. So a lot of the areas, that's why I'm in Birmingham, too. It's like, OK, Madison got it. Milwaukee gets it. Birmingham gets it. Atlanta gets it. D.C. gets it. Houston gets it. That's why I'm in these markets. I don't need to sell the fact that black people should be able to do good business, regardless of color. They get it. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I bring my resume and expertise, I can show just, hey, this is what I've done. This is what I do it for. And this is what I'm looking to do here in that respect. So you said last time, like in order for a developer to really get into the game, most time you have to like work under like a JV with an established developer, right? Absolutely. Yes. Um, so at what point can you branch out on your own and not have to ride with another person in, in the car? Uh, from a tax credit type perspective. So community development, let's break out community development and commercial real estate, commercial real estate. If you have money, you can go tomorrow, you know, like, a billionaire can literally go and hire development consultants and just put up a development if you wanted to. So you can do that with no problem. Community development, tax credit. I, I wouldn't recommend it because the returns are probably not going to be what you want them to be. And they don't have the same vested interest in them. You don't know what's going on. You're probably going to lose your money. 
but you can do it from a community development perspective when you're trying to develop these communities and tax credit deals and affordable housing. Um, AHEC is the governing council of all tax credit equity investors. They set a standard that was a million dollars of liquidity and five million in net worth. So that's really the start and the finish. Again, to, if you to do what to, to do develop to 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 be able to get the tax credit equity investor to allow you to be the developer. You have to have a million dollars in liquid and $5, five million, million dollar network. That's pretty much the the standard. But as deals get larger, if you're doing a 50 plus million dollar deal, they're going to want to see a little bit more. And typically they want to see the experience. But like that is if there was a benchmark, that would be it. And most of the time when we start now, million dollars of cash and or five million in net worth is not really there for folks. So you got a JV and partner like we explained in the last episode to be able to get to that point. So now, like, I'm there, I'm doing, like, Harbor District, it's on my own. I'm bringing in a good friend of mine who's been doing my development consultant, Michael and Mim, and we're just going to partner on it. I I stand on my own and everything, but he's a brother that I really trust and respect. So it's like, no, let's just do this together. So it's not like I needed him at all. And frankly, he doesn't need me, but it makes sense for us to, like, share, divide, and conquer that. To answer your question earlier about, like, how do you know when it's too much? Um Right now, I mean, it's only, I just hired my first person a couple of months ago. It's been me this whole time, full time. That's why I don't put out this content. I'll just be working, literally. Wow. Like I'm a staff of, I was, I've been a staff of one. I had people assisting and even the person that I hired, she's been helping for like two, two years or so. But full time, it's just me and one other person right now. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I am I I am primarily doing the work. It's not like I'm having team members do it. Like I'm at these community meetings. I'm meeting with the folks. I'm putting together the financial models. I'm looking at the construction plans. Like I'm doing yeah. it. When you when you broke down the financial model by square foot the last time we, we spoke, I was I mean, that blew me away. And so I'm now looking at you going from a hundred and forty unit development to now in Birmingham where we got eleven 1, hundred mixed unit. Yeah. Talk about scaling that and what that looks like for you since you're, I mean, you're talking about just being the sole person doing it. For sure. So partnerships, that's another key. Um, one, I knew, I felt the market was changing. I didn't know it would be this stark in terms of the interest rates, but I knew like we've been on the wave, like 08 hit, boom, really from 2010 to like 21, 22, that was a run that real estate hasn't seen. Real estate is cyclical. It goes up and it goes down. It's literally like this all the time. So I'm like, yo, it's, it's time that it's going to go down. So I intentionally didn't do any new developments. I was just working on the construction of 1402, 1887 in Montella. So I have right now three projects, little around little over 300 units under construction right now in Wisconsin. So I was like, let me just focus on that. But simultaneously, I was looking for how do I plan for the future? where my time right now may not yield this return, but my time later will. So I started to reach out to, I built a partnership with Integral and Egbert and their team, and I started looking at master plan developments. So that's what I was talking about before. I I didn't really get hit by the recession much because all of my stuff was already kind of out the ground. It's just being built. All my financing is in order. I put a pause on anything new. But as I was pausing, I was working on this larger term stuff. So I ended up getting 1,100 units awarded that we're developing with Smithfield Court. That's in Birmingham. And we just received the $50 million grant on that. And I also got 
about 900 units awarded. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Congrats. so that's about three, 300, with the market rate, so about 350 million in just 1,100. And then I have 900 units at Tom Brown in Birmingham that I'm developing as well. The way you can do that is like, I looked at capacity. We're doing the $50 million broken out into seven deals. I'm doing a deal a year for the next seven years. And when I talked about the funding gaps, right? Okay, you have the, the loan, you have the tax credit equity, but then you gotta fill the rest. The $50 million is the gap filler for the rest. So I have a pre, pre-funded seven deal run based on $50 million of a grant that was awarded from the federal government. So for me, that was capacity. Like I don't need to do seven, eight deals right now because I'm a small team. Mm -hmm. But if I could build seven, eight, nine, ten 10 deals in my pipeline over however much time, that was the key. So I'm doing seven, mark, seven affordable deals for Birmingham and Smithfield with two market rate deals. And then the other one, I have about seven phases. So every year I'm gonna do really two deals a year in Birmingham. So that Secretary Fudge is who the person you were yeah, working with. Yeah, Secretary Fudge. So, Fuzz. I mean, if people don't know, she, she's the head of, of, of HUD. She is. So how did you develop a relationship with her? Were you on her radar? Did somebody introduce you? Because relationships are important. We always talk about that. When, when did that relationship develop? You know, what's interesting, um, I knew people around, but I didn't meet her until the day she brought the award. Wow. I didn't meet her until that day. Uh, she brought the $50 million check, and we, you know, met then. Prior to that, who does know her, Randall uh, Woodfin, Mayor Woodfin out of Birmingham, he knows her. You know, so it's relationships, like you said. If the mayor knows her and the councilwoman knows her and we are all aligned in this development together, I mean, this is what we are pushing for at that point. I didn't need to know her because they knew her, you know. And I, I will say we put together one of the best proposals they've probably ever seen. It's super unique to get that choice neighborhood grant was it's been around for some years it really was hope six first mm -hmm. so egbert is the pioneer of hope six hud asked him consulting on a model etc now we have this it's broken out into three tiers housing neighborhood and people those three tiers are super important to hud because it's not just about housing like you were saying earlier like we need food we need shelter we're doing we're moving a library putting that into the development we are also doing a social innovation campus that the city is going to run and govern in our senior building that's 101 units that we just applied for tax credits on the lower level is an early childhood education center so we have 101 seniors that will now volunteer with the kids so the kids will be teaching the seniors and the seniors will be teaching the kids like there are models within models. It's not about the buildings. It's about, you know, the broader play. But HUD realized that the applicant was the Housing Authority of Birmingham District, 100% black led. The co-applicant is the city of Birmingham, 100% black led. The housing leads mm -hmm. is a partnership between rural enterprises and the integral group, 100% black led and owned. The scent project is running the people side. 100% black led, which is a subsidiary of Integral. And the neighborhood, again, is the city of Birmingham. First time we've ever seen one of these really, really large scale developments be 100% black, which I think tells a story. So that might have been why uh, yeah. Secretary Fletcher. Uh, as, as you were saying, I'm thinking the common thing. We saw this happen in Milwaukee, and we've seen it happen. Earners, what's up? Look, I want to give y'all a little peek behind the curtain of producing Earn Your Leisure. It's a lot more than just sitting down and chatting. It involves meticulous planning, recording, editing, and then promoting each episode to ensure it reaches all of you. 
And if you picked up any of our merch, then you know there's a whole extra layer of logistics from inventory management to shipping. Running a podcast is like running a small business. And speaking of business, I know many of you entrepreneurs are involved in e-commerce. You understand how crucial it is to streamline operations and cut costs wherever possible. That's why I want to talk to you about ShipStation, the multi-carrier shipping solution that integrates seamlessly with all your online sales channels. It's all about optimizing your shipping, connecting with expert partners, and freeing up more of your time to focus on scaling your business. Now let's talk about our experience with ShipStation. This tool has been a game changer for us, especially with automating routine tasks. Being able to manage everything from one dashboard and print shipping labels with just a click, absolute lifesavers. Plus, the discounts we get on shipping costs are incredible. Honestly, it feels like we're saving thousands. And as our show and merch sales have grown, ShipStation's robust automation and reporting features have helped us keep up without missing a beat. For those of you who get overwhelmed by order volumes, ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard is a dream come true. You can import orders from any sales channel, apply shipping preferences automatically, and handle customer service issues right there. Not to mention the savings with up to 89% off carrier rates like UPS, DHL Express, and USPS. It's no wonder over 130,000 companies stick with ShipStation long-term. So, are you ready to turn your shipping challenges into growth opportunities? Head over to ShipStation.com and use promo code EARN for a free 60-day trial. Again, that's ShipStation.com, promo code EARN. Start streamlining your shipping and scaling your business today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. In Birmingham, we had the opportunity to sit down with Mayo Finn, and he was telling us, like we were in Atlanta, but we flew over and he was like, look, everything that they have, we can have here. 100%. And we can control it. So it was, when I saw you get awarded, that's why I mentioned you were watching Market Mondays. I'm like, this is incredible because I see this happening. It's a transition. Are there other cities that you are on the radar that you can see that there's a possibility for this type of infrastructure, this type of, I guess, not even camaraderie, but people being in positions of power to push the button and say yes? For sure. Uh, Atlanta, 100%. Um, moving there more full time here in the next couple of months. Houston, 
DC, DC for sure. You know, I still live in DC and I love DC. DC, you can do it. Um, Milwaukee, like mentioned, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota has a black mayor. So there's, there's actually a, a list of like black mayors that you can look up. Um, and I, I would start there. I haven't actually done it, but that's something practical you could do. It's like, look at the list of black mayors, see where they are, see what their terms are. Cause if they're leaving soon, it might not matter as much, mm -hmm. but if they just got elected or something, Hey, start building those relationships. Now you start building with those black mayors. They have the people and the teams that can start to move things around. And that's where I will align myself. One of the biggest opportunities for emerging developers and even solidified developers like myself are those municipalities and the partnerships. Best way I talked about it on the last one, public private partnerships are key, but, there are a lot of black people getting in these positions of power that are vested in the equality in, hey, I'm not going to select you because you're black. I'm going to select you because you're good, but you also are black and you have mission too. So we have an, uh, an aligned mission. Um, okay. So talk about, talk about it a little bit, but let's go into this community development versus commercial real estate. Community development is what is community development? What does that even mean? Community development is where you are primarily working. So commercial development in general is like the creation of something, right? So if you look at commercial real estate is the traditional profit capitalist type of system. It's, it's for profit entities. Yes. Like office buildings. Yes. Office buildings. Grocery stores. Gross, yeah. Retail multifamily that's not subsidized anything that's not subsidized is just for profit it's commercial real estate that's commercial but housing is commercial real estate as yeah, well absolutely okay but community development there are elements of commercial real estate that could be subsidized so the loan comes out in tax credit mm -hmm. so housing is also commercial real estate so like building that grocery store the city came in and subsidized so that's more com community development work so you're doing it not necessarily for profit, but you're doing it for mission. That's the stark difference. And the mechanics of how the finance works is completely different. So how, how do they work? On the market rate side, it's really simple. If you got, if you have a $100 million deal, we talked about, going, if you haven't watched last episode, make sure you check yeah. it out. If you got a $100 million deal, let's say you get 70 million of debt. That's just, is what it is. Those are the terms. You need 30 million of equity. If you need this 30 million of equity, there's a system where the general partner could come in I'm going to bring 10% of the equity. You're going to bring 90. It's just like the private equity funds. It's, it's all the same, whether it's business or in real estate, it's the same structure. So I'm going to bring 3 million and you are going to bring 27. We're going to get this debt of 70. We're getting this deal done. Simple. It's really in the numbers rooted in that allow that to work. Everyone gets their return. It hits the metrics, et cetera, et cetera. Community development is when that system doesn't work you can't hit those returns but just because you can't hit that return does that mean you shouldn't be able to build in these communities no like you have to be able to build in all of the communities regardless of the income that is driving it so community development is really a system that allows for people like myself to go in and like develop in communities where the incomes don't work interesting thing egbert said once again i know i keep saying his name but Think about a flight, right? We fly all the time. I know y'all fly just as much as I do. You bought your flight three months ago. You bought your flight two months ago. I bought my flight yesterday. Yours is 100. Yours is 200. Mine is 500. We all in the same row. 
at the end of the day, no matter how much you paid, it shouldn't determine the quality of the service and what you have. So the way I look at housing is the exact same way. Just because you make $30,000 or you might make $20,000 and I might make a million dollars doesn't necessarily mean you should live in a $30,000 apartment, right? Like, frankly, teachers, lawyers, no, teachers, police officers, et cetera, like they are doing the public good. They're no worse than a celebrity that may be an athlete. Like we have to be able to create something for them too. Is the reason, so that's community development. Is the reason you don't see more people doing it in your opinion because of the profit margins are not the highest? More people in general, yes. More of us, no. The predominantly white people that's been doing development forever, yeah, it's like, it's not worth the brain damage and the headache. It's a lot of work. And the profit margins aren't as consistent. It's not as um, streamlined as commercial real estate. It's just nuts and bolts over there. If you got the money, you got the land, you buy it, you don't have to go through the red tape. Over here, it's full of red tape. So, And it's not guaranteed that you'll be able to move forward on it. Like there's variables that are outside of your hands. So yes, that's why a lot of people don't do it that are doing this commercial real estate stuff. Now, I think a lot of us don't do it because of education and like, that's it. I think way more of us would do it if we knew one, it existed and two, figured out a way to start to do it. When we talked about the numbers last time, like there's a real life, use, real life use case where in five years you could be worth 10 figures getting into this space, even in community development exclusively. Now, again, I don't think that's the best business to just build. If you want to like sustain a business, you should diversify, but it's a, it's a good place to be. So are you actively buying land as part of this development or? Great question, man. Uh, buying, no, getting control. Yes. So those are two different things. So how do you, how do you get control without buying? Purchase and sell contract that allows you to wait until you have your plan in order or your finances in order to be able to buy. So can you explain that? Absolutely. Uh, they always say, don't wait to buy land, buy land and wait. That's like the big Instagram thing, right? I disagree. Fundamentally, I disagree. I know that's probably, I'm a minority in this, but buying and sitting on land is not a smart decision as it relates to investing. You can put your money other places in stocks, in bonds, et cetera, even in flipping some real estate, whatever, because development is sexy. So many people just want to go out and say, I'm doing this, this, that. When you watch the people talking about buying land, don't look for the people that say, I bought this land or I'm about to do this with it. Look for the people that finished it. Because a lot of those people that are saying we're about to do this never get to the other side of it. They don't come back for a second interview and say, hey, that building is built. You can look at it. They don't have the same receipts. And during that process, there's holding costs, there's insurance, there's risk. Like most of the time, buying land is not a good investment unless you have a surplus of cash that you're just sitting on. If you got money and it's just like right there waiting and you need tax shelters or anything like that, cool. You should do that. But someone that is trying to get in a space like that's not the best way to enter into this market at all. So, no, I don't buy land. I like to get it under contract, I'll go and work with a municipality. Those are the best people to work with. Uh, when they are in sync, because when they're not, it's tough. Or you can work with a private seller that understands like, realistically, nobody else is gonna buy this. So one of the things I read, I think it was in the People's Principles, like, your price, my terms. 
all right, cool. You want 500000 for this land. I'll give you the 500000 but I'm going to need 18 months to close. You've been sitting on it for five years. What's the difference? Give me 18 months. I may give you 10000 to put down. You know, after six months, I'll give you another twenty five that may go hard because I think my plan is moving forward. But I'm not giving you five hundred thousand until everything I know for my exit is in place. Or if you buy land that's five hundred thousand, but you know it's worth five million, your exit is in place right there. Then you could buy it quickly. I'm not buying land until my exit is in place. Period. Never, never enter an investment before you know the exit. Not doing it. Simple principle. I'll lock it up, but I'm not buying it. So how are you moving into different markets? Like, what are some of the challenges with that? You started where you're from, but now you're going to Texas and you're going to, you said that you're moving to Atlanta and different things like, and then you're doing different, different product types as well. Yeah. So talk about navigating that. So relationships, man, it's, it's, it's everything. I think when I was coming up in Milwaukee, one of the things that I did was just built those relationships. I was networking. I was at every event. You couldn't miss me. I was, literally, you could not miss me. I was everywhere. Uh, so I took that same model, but now I'm doing it on a national scale. Mm-hmm. Everything in DC, real estate based events. I'm there. I'm not there as much now because I've been, you know, head down, but I'm in those Atlanta based events. I'm in that Houston based events. I'm in those, you know, Birmingham based events. I'm in that. So I look for the macroeconomic trends that I like population growth, um, I really like red states and blue cities because it allows for flexibility and um, getting out tenants that may not pay, right? I'm not saying evict folks. That's not what I'm here for. But at the same time, places like uh, Atlanta. Atlanta isn't as bad. Atlanta's D.C. Let's use D.C. for example. Well, you said red state and blue city. Yes, those are places like Atlanta. I like like Houston, uh, Houston, Atlanta, Houston, Georgia is now Birmingham, Georgia's Birmingham, all blue state, all blue states, red cities. Yeah. I mean, I mean, sorry. traditionally, Georgia's not a blue state, though. No, no, no. I mean, blue cities, red states. I may have said it the wrong way. So Birmingham would be yeah, Birmingham, Birmingham Houston, Birmingham, Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta. Houston. Houston, yeah, for sure, New Orleans, yes, stuff like that. Yep, yes. yep, yep. I really like blue states, red cities. Sorry, blue cities red states yep. because the the higher level laws allow for more flexibility like a place like dc for example there were people that literally dc prior to the pandemic you can go rent an apartment never pay your rent and you don't have to get out for at least seven months because that's how long the process takes like i know people that lived in a building that i lived in that literally leased it and didn't pay rent they just lease it out every summer so they can enjoy the rooftop and they just burn up different people's things like, okay, your name this year, we all gonna live there. Your name this year, we all gonna live there. Are there any <laughs> are there any major cities that are run by Republicans? I don't think so, right? Most uh, every major city is run by Democrats. You really think about it. That's a good From question. Chicago, LA, New That's York, Miami? Houston. Miami is a Democrat. Um, the mayor's a Democrat. I don't think there's any major city that's that That's interesting. I just thought about that. Yeah. No no major city has Demo- has very Republican true. control. Very Chicago true. Is Democrat. Yeah. Even that's even if it's in a true. Republican LA, state. Yeah. San Francisco. San Francisco, same. Yeah. Philly. Yeah. And, you know, Pennsylvania goes back and forth. But those those cities, those states that have those very, like, stringent laws, like a D.C., for example, um, I, I'm, I'm not the most fond of, right? Like, during the pandemic, there were people that literally lived for over a year just because of the system. And it's like, you're not paying any rent. 
as a landowner that has thousands of units, I don't want thousands of units in a place that I can't get people exploiting this system out. In Wisconsin, you get somebody 30 days. All right, boom, you go through the process. Atlanta, even quicker than that. And I'm not saying we should exploit it either, mm -hmm. but from a business perspective, it doesn't make sense for me to be in a place where X amount of people don't pay rent, especially as I'm rising. Like when I get bigger, of course, maybe I could deal with some of that drop. But right now, no, nah, I'm focused on cities where it makes sense financially. So you moved throughout the cities. I know the HUD is involved in the Birmingham situation. There was $370 million allocated uh, yep. for, for the developments. Is it a situation where you can now again go back to HUD and do the same type of proposal in a different city? Absolutely. So I have, I'm a finalist for three cities right now. <laughs> yeah, I knew it, man. I knew it. <laughs> I'm a finalist for three cities right now. I got a call yesterday about one. We'll talk about the cities offline. Um, yeah. So the, the strategy and the game plan there is if, let's say, once a year, once every other year, I can pick up one of these, Birmingham will be further along. Mm -hmm. Now I'm starting on that. And if each one is kicking out a 1,000-plus units, you get three, four cities. I mean, by the time I'm 34 now, by the time I'm 42, 43, I'll have thousands of units under my belt that I've developed and really just starting to enter my prime. Yeah, from on your financial map, does the percentage change with the amount of units, right? When you started at the 140, you had your percentage that was put in. Now you're doing 1,100, but you have partners. Yes. How does that change? Great question. Yes, it did change. So each city that you go into, their housing authority that you... So all of these are public housing redevelopment. So think of Brittany Greens, um, think uh, Marcy Projects, et cetera. We're taking the projects and creating mixed income communities. Because if you think about the projects, they were low density. So it's 30 acres of land with 300 units on it. That same 30 acres could do 3,000 if you really wanted to, right? But you don't want to dense, you don't want to go that dense, but that's just an example of like the, what you are going after. So because the housing authorities typically own those lands, whoever is at the housing authority, they kind of dictate the negotiation of like the housing authority and developer in those terms. The housing authority gets X percentage and then the developers gets Y percentage. And right now, Integral and I are splitting that percentage. Okay. But it's very favorable, like it's pretty close to um, where it should be. And the, the way we work, they come, I'm driving, but they're there every step of the way in the passenger seat. So I'm able to learn from it in their experience. They've developed, built, and managed over 10,000 plus units. They've been doing this. They created the model. I'm learning from them, but I'm driving the, the, the ship at the same time. So yes, I have to share in the economics, but you know, three, $400 million deals a pop. I don't mind sharing. We can figure it out. So talk about access to capital. That's something that, you know, Don people, a lot of people have talked about, um, what is your thoughts on access to capital as far as on the real estate development side? And what's your personal experiences trying to get access to capital? The money on this commercial real estate side, like I said, the money is going to be there. If you got to deal to work, the money's going to flow at the end of the day. Now, the terms for the money we talked about before, that's where it gets a little tricky. I'll say in the wake of George Floyd, there was a 18 month period maybe even a little, I mean, it's still kind of there, but it's scaling back where they were throwing money at black developers. Who, who's throwing money? Like BlackRock? 
Uh, no, that's a great question. So like the PayPal's of the world, when they was giving out all of the like, oh, I'm going to invest in black communities, primarily went to CDFIs, Community Development Financial Institution that we talked about last time. There's some national CDFIs that govern some of those funds, and they've been able to kind of distill those funds to us. So like Enterprise Community Partners, they're my equity investors on the Madison deal. They have a program called Equitable Path Forward. Their CEO just took over Fannie Mae. So that's the scale of like how big these CDFIs are. Now, um, they're one of their presidents, Lori Chapman, she created this program based upon all of that money that was coming in from the corporations that were trying to give to black dollars. And this program is specifically created to be able to, they have lines of credit for us from an operational business perspective. They have pre-development loans. So you can go out, each one of these deals you need at least a half a million, anywhere from a half a million to a million before you close. You get it all back when you finish, but you need that before you close. So when you talk about like capacity, that's one of the things too. Mm -hmm. If you have five of these deals going on at one time, you're gonna need two and a half to $5 million worth of capital just to deploy to that. Not even talking about your operations and nothing like that. So they have programs that are allowing for developers to be able to tap into those type of money that helps us grow and scale. Um, but the flip side of it is, that's all the you know kind of feel good money that's gonna flip, but to to Don People's point, black people don't manage big pension funds at all, right? He he's I've heard him talk about it on y'all's platform. At the end of the day, we're less than one percent of all of the management. Black, brown, women, less than one percent of all assets managed. But if in New York, for example, with black, brown, and women is over fifty percent of what's going into that pension fund. Why is it less than 1% of us managing or having access to manage those funds? What is the governance around that to say, oh, you are not capable enough to do that? That's still a really big challenge to be able to even go from someone like myself, that's a developer that's established to get into fund management and be able to allocate to either my developments or other developers in the same way that some of these traditional majority firms are doing with no problem. So that's really a challenge that I think needs to be addressed. And I'm doing I'm doing my job to do it. So reinvest is a platform that I'm creating now. It's a crowdfunding platform that democratizes commercial real estate investment. My mother can't invest. Your parents can't invest unless they are accredited historically. But you've seen crowdfunding start to grow in the real estate space a little bit. So I'm doing a regulation A plus. We can raise up to 75 million. I'm gonna put a portfolio of deals together and have people invest in that and backed by the best of the best in the country that are doing it. So it's secured by those funds. I mean, by those firms and we underwrite the deals, we co-invest in the deals. It's not a, it's not like investing in a company. It's not like investing in a onesie deal. Like we are, you know, putting together sophistication in a way that the marketplace has not seen. So that's one of the ways that I'm addressing the access to capital challenge for emerging developers that, are like me and coming up behind me too. Let's talk about the emerging developers. I would imagine since your episode, people have looked at it oh, as an option or even a, a pathway as, as a career. So what are some, some resources? I know you gave something great about, you know, finding cities with black mayors. What are some other resources that you would recommend to, to people who are in this space and are looking at like, I want to be the next Brandon Rule? Yeah, I think one of the best ways is as you drive around in neighborhoods and you see buildings, look at those signs. Every one of those buildings have a has a ton of signs up that has every single company name on it. 
Those are the people doing the developments. What better place should you start than your backyard with folks that are doing the work right now? Start there first. Like someone in Milwaukee, they're going to see a rural enterprise sign. Someone in Des Moines, Iowa, I, I, I'm not working there. I can't help them in the same way. And the rural enterprise of Des Moines may not be black, but they know their stuff. It's about knowledge and education at the end of the day. Like the black thing is an enhancer, but the barrier to entry is just education and knowing what it is. So start with looking at very practical way. When you drive around, take a picture of the signs, look them up, find people on LinkedIn, whether they're black, women, find some commonality and try to, you know, get in with them. Whether it be the architect, the construction company, the engineers or the developer, all of them work with developers all the time. They know developers don't say, oh, I don't want to reach out to the architect because I don't want to do that. Architects build for developers. Literally, they have a whole network of them. So if you build a rapport with one, they can introduce you to their Rolodex. So that's one of the ways um, I'm also looking at since that episode, people come to me all the time. Yo, put some out, put some out, put some out, put some out. So like I've been I, I've been against the course thing. I, that's not my thing because you can't put together a course and someone comes out and becomes a developer. That's not a thing. You can go, I said it last time, but you can go to the best schools and universities in the country for the commercial real estate programs and not be a developer when you come out. So I'm looking at like putting together a community of folks, like really to bring resources and all of this, whether you're in Chicago or in LA or in Atlanta, you can network and get the education, but then also look at kind of local networks as well to build with people that are like-minded. So that's another way uh, that'll be through the Rosa Groove that I put out. Finally, I'm putting together my podcast. Y'all inspire me too. Man. I'm finally <laughs> put it out. <laughs> so that, but um, in general, I think researching, man, like right now, YouTube University, EYL University, it's a lot of information out here that you can find like for free. You know, the, the game that I gave on the last episode is a great way to get into it. You know, write down literally those things as some of the other people that have done. They are now working with developers now, like at development shops. There are people that started their own development companies. There are people that won RFPs that there are test, live, living testimonies of folks that like right. lives have changed because of that episode and the platform that you all created. So I think leveraging resources in every aspect of the way is really how you do it. It's affordable housing from a developer perspective, just from a okay. social perspective. Yeah. Is it beneficial in closing the wealth gap? Oh, or does it just keep status quo? You're doing yeah. a good thing by providing a service for people. Yeah. But I just, I don't know if that is something it's like, exactly it's like said. welfare, right? Welfare is beneficial. Yes. Need assistance. Yes. But it's, you, you're kind of staying at this level, yes. right? Yeah. You hundred percent. Right. So affordable housing in the traditional sense, most people think of Section 8, you know, all of that stuff. But if y'all notice, like, for the most part, I do mixed income housing. So I have market rate units in pretty much all of my deals. It may be 60% or 70% affordable. It may be 20% market. And even the affordability is at different levels. It's 30% of the AMI, which is low income at Section 8. You got it at 50, 60% of the AMI, which is typically your workforce so your barista at the local coffee shop or you you know your teacher etc they live there as well but then the market rate folks that may be at six figures plus are also in these buildings i build in areas that are predominantly market rate so 
like the Water Street building that I'm putting up right now, it'll be done really at the end of this month, but people start moving in next month. That building right next door is a ton of condos, right across the street, a ton of condos. There were 50 people in opposition every single community meeting we had for that deal because they didn't want them around. They thought of like this negative stigma of affordable housing. Again, what I'm doing is mixed income housing. So like the people that are living in that condo can actually live here too if they wanna sell their condo and move and it's just as quality. So when you have a mixed income in one group, that's where you have the different levels of collaboration. It's kind of like EYL, right? Think about InvestFest. There are people super low income, there are people medium income, and there are people extremely high income. That's the melting pot of success. If you just continuously have affordability at this level and below, we never get out of that because you never see, you never learn, you never grow. Y'all are the living example of really the answer to your question. You got to see something to believe in. And if you just keep that concentration of poverty together, no, that is not the answer at all. This, this is why you text me. <laughs> this is why you text me after the, the, the segment that we were going back and forth on Market Mondays. That's right. And then I was trying, it, it was kind of like the, the first thing is like, let's have our basic needs met and then let's be inspired. So both, I think both both points are pretty valid. You did the, the, the mixed units, but there's, there's also different types of real estate that, that you, you're invested in now. So let's talk about what the portfolio is going to be looking like in the next five, 10 years. Yeah, great question. Uh, diversification from a geographic perspective, I kind of outlined, but to your point, I'm looking at other things. I think development in general right now is down. Like real estate is cyclical. There's four cycles. Like we're not in a good one right now. Um, I won't say not in a good one. We're just in one that's historically like bad, right? You just have to know what to do within that cycle. So right now what I'm really looking at is multifamily acquisitions. Like how do I go? Yes, I got a couple thousand units in my pipeline that I'm developing over the next eight to 10. That take a long time. But how do I buy 5,000 units in the next five years? Acquisitions. You can buy that. Like literally the formula on the commercial real estate side, again, is simple. hundred million dollars. I'm getting 70 of debt. I need 30 million equity. I need to bring 3 million to the table. So really through the various platforms and initiatives, we can start to identify that 3 million so I can bring and find the 27 that can then fund the $100 million deal. From an acquisition perspective, if I can scale that up, it creates a level of balance. Like not just affordability because developers are very like asset rich, balance sheets crazy, but like cash poor. I just said it takes 500,000 to a million dollars a deal. So if you got five of them things, no matter how wealthy you are at a certain point, it's like my cash is low. But the thing about the value add stuff, I had a friend, um, Venus, she bought a deal right outside of Atlanta. I think it was 40 million in 2021 and sold it for 120 and like, or 20, 2020 and sold it 18 months later for like 120. So you look at opportunities from a value add perspective, if you know how to underwrite them and look for the right things, there's class C and D properties that really need the same level of care that some of these new developments are getting. You go in, you put in the rehab money, you go fix it up. Now it's a B, B plus, A minus. Now you're cranking out income equivalent to the new construction stuff that's out there at a fraction of the cost. So the value here is probably just less than the value there, but your basis for getting in is here. 
So that spread is yours. So I'm really looking at it from like that perspective from a multifamily acquisition play, developing some studios in Atlanta. Um, hopefully by the time this comes out, I can make a formal announcement, but two um, really, really big you know, partners in conversations with their uh, industrial. That was one of the best asset classes in the pandemic across anything. I mean, didn't matter. Stocks, bonds, real estate, don't matter. Industrial real estate was toe-to-toe with anything else you put up there. So when you look at that, it's like, okay, regardless of anything that's going on in capital markets, um, this specific thing is is booming. And for production in Atlanta, it's the new Hollywood, right? Like literally it's the new Hollywood. They have a 30% tax credit. If you do a hundred million dollar production in Atlanta, you get 30 million back. That's why they're there. So from a resident, from a development perspective, my partners, Egbert and those guys, they develop uh third rail studios, ended up selling it and whatnot. But the Rocks movie Rampage was filmed there. Ozark was filmed there. Like, that's the quality of productions that'll be coming out of these studios. So studios, I think, is a huge opportunity in Atlanta. It'll get saturated in a little bit, but right now, it's, it's time to strike. So what about the um, Choice Neighborhood Implementation Grant? What's that deal? So that's that's the Birmingham, man. Uh, that $370 million that they put, it was from the federal government. So last time, we did a deep dive on tax credits, but I think this time, we should definitely highlight this fact i won a 50 million dollar grant granted it was a team but i when i did that interview two and a half years ago i didn't know i could win a 50 million dollar grant i had no clue that there was a 50 million dollar grant exists that brandon rule could be a part of but now it's like oh i do so the choice neighborhood implementation grant is that 50 out of the 370 was the highest one that got we got the biggest check some people got 50 some got 40 some got less but um, it allows you to redevelop these communities. And when I talked about the capital stack earlier, on the community development side, the value is here, but the cost is here. That $50 million plugs in that delta. It's Wh- a grant. Where's the grant from? The state? Federal. Uh, federal? Yeah. yeah. So that's when Secretary Fudge yeah. came down, brought the check. Federal government, every year they put it out. They just actually announced yesterday that they have, I forget the exact number, but they're putting out, I think it was 250 or so million. So how can people find gotcha. grant information? Like how can you even know? Google Choice, that specific one, Choice Neighborhood Implementation Grant. They have a planning grant too, that cities typically go and like, that's up to 500,000 where they pay different consultants to put together their plan. But that 50 million is is huge. Yeah, I mean, and the relationships again, like you said, the, the fact that the mayor knew the secretary of HUD and the fact that the secretary of HUD looks like us yeah. helps. Absolutely. In two years, that might not be the case. It's, it's time to strike. Or at least learn, because in eight years, it might be the case again. Exactly. But you'll be prepared once you put yourself in that position. Like, my preparation really is what's manifesting itself into what we are starting to see today. Like, I, if it wasn't for me doing those tax credit deals, I wouldn't be able to do this master plan stuff. But I know how to do each individual deal. So now when I'm putting together seven, it's like, I know how to do each individual one, but let me put together the plan for the seven. Now I got integral and partnerships to be able to help streamline that process. Prepare yourself for the moment. That's right. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another gym pack session. So I know you said you got the podcast coming. What else you want to leave the people with? Uh, Yeah, check out the Rose of Groove. So that'll be the podcast. When's it come out? I'm rocking it. Uh, By the end of the year. Let's just say that. What's it about? Real estate? 
Yeah, primarily real estate. Originally, it was like entrepreneurship. I thought about it in like 2015. It was like EYL, honestly, but I just was crazy busy. Like legit, if you go back to Facebook in 2015, you'll see like posts that was made. I think I I saw you was sitting on the couch. It was very dark. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, video quality was trash. Yeah, yeah you know? I, I, saw, I watched it. Yeah, so, you know, I was I was trying to do some stuff back then, but um, now I think just market conditions, right? Like, there's there's a source for that now, which I love, and that's what I appreciate y'all for, because I only wanted to do it because I was coming up as a developing entrepreneur and like, yo, I don't see this. But y'all did it. It's like, perfect. Okay, so I feel like there's a real estate void, too, in a way that I think I could feel it. So that's primarily what it's about so i'll be doing some entrepreneurs but mainly yeah it'll be real estate based and then also uh reinvest is this crowdfunding platform that will be for developers but one of the things that i created um and investors but one of the things i created on there was a real estate calculator so when i talk about the financial model and whatnot i literally built out a whole financial model in a user interface that you can just plug in the purchase price plug in the, the um, amount of rent plug this in and it spit out all of the stuff for you so that'll be on reinvest, and that's for that's just free gym for the people. All right, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you follow my guy. What's your Instagram? B underscore R U L E. B rule on all platforms. I need some good brothers, man. I, one last thing I'll say behind the scenes, y'all some really good brothers. We don't talk every day, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. It's been stand up and genuine from the beginning. So um, I know y'all might see him with the celebrities and whatnot, but these are the same brothers I met. You know. Almost three years ago at this point. So appreciate thank y'all for being here. Appreciate, that, appreciate you. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Thank you for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.